welcome to Musitations, Sound Healing and Sound Wisdom for a World in Need. On Musitations, we explore all things musical, meditative, and creative for healing, transformation, and awakening the relationship between nature, culture, and the soul. I'm Michael Branty Maria, and I'm your host and guide on this journey on the edge of a new millennium. I bring my 30-plus years of experience as an integrative wellness guide, best-selling author, meditation, yoga, mindfulness teacher, and a four-time Grammy-nominated musician. Join me now on this adventure of awakening the soul. Welcome to Musitations. I'm your host, Michael Brandt DiMaria, and I'm so thrilled to have another soul-versation. For those who've been following Musitations, a soul-versation for me is when two souls encounter each other. And remember our Musitations, one of the main themes we have is that we are music. We are music. And whenever I find someone who really lives from that same understanding and place, um, I get real excited. I light up inside. And I, I'm really, really honored to have a guest with us for this Soulversation, which is in our soul encounter in a Soulversation, is understanding the soul as a field of energy and that whenever two people connect and share, there's actually a third field that's created. And that includes when we have a conversation with the natural world or with a piece of artwork or, or a piece of music. And when you vibrate, when you resonate with someone who helps bring you alive, remember soul comes from the word anima, which means to animate. So what brings you alive is what feeds your soul and is connected to your soul. So really paying attention to that as part of what a Silversation also does. And of course, we want to encourage a Silversation with our own heart and our own soul and the befriending our soul and caring for our soul in that way. So without further ado, I'm, I have with me today McCall Erickson, the author of this beautiful book, The Second Half of the Mountain, A Guide to Personal Alchemy, after awakening and i first heard of mccall four four years ago literally four years ago so and that was not planned it was really awesome that and i was this 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 quote that has stayed with me that really touched my heart so deeply was shared with me or i shared on social media four years ago and it popped up this week after mccall and i had planned to do the conversation together and you just can't make this stuff up and i i'm just so tickled that i have a chance to really dive in more deeply and i'm going to tell you a little bit about her she is an author a musician an alchemist a i, I found this was really interesting i don't tell many people this but i noticed on one of the descriptions um, you had mystical realist, and I actually, that's one of the ways I think of myself as a mystical realist. Um, I actually have <laughs> mysticalrealist.com somewhere along the line, but when I saw you, were the only other person I've ever known who'd called themselves that. And and I'll get into more of that. We'll see where this, this the conversation's already heating up. But... Um, Having fallen from the good graces of her religious upbringing and finding herself unable to walk any other existing paths that life had to offer, McCall Erickson learned to make her own way in a world that felt like it had no place for her. How many of us can resonate with that? I know I resonate with that deeply. Her unique voice as a writer of words and songs exploring love, beauty, mystery, and deep process I think that's a very important phrase, deep process, which we don't get a lot of in our world today, continues to inspire many to follow the pull of their own souls. She enjoys growing her own food, exploring new places, and spending entire afternoons staring at the sky. I always say it's more important to be present than productive throughout the day, if you have, <laughs> if you have to make a choice. The second half of the mountain is her first book. 
you can find more about her at McCallErickson.com and, and we'll get into other ways in which people can connect with you, McCall. But without further ado, um, welcome, soul friend and soul sister. It's it's so great to to connect here. And just so folks know, I we have not talked, you know, we we have been texting and emailing, but this is we wanted to keep this fresh and this is, you know, a really fresh opportunity for us to to have a solversation on musitation. So so welcome, McCall. It's great to have you here. Hey, thank you so much. It's so good to be here and to talk with you, solversate with you. Yes. Thank you. So, you know, I know we talked about, and I want to get to your quote, but I have to say, um, I I really realize I what I'm most interested in asking you. I hope it's okay. Um, I'm a recovering Catholic. I grew up in a very pretty rigid Catholic um, household and upbringing, and I've been wanting to ask about this fall from. Um, the good graces of your religious upbringing. I, that's one thing I, I don't know. And if you've mentioned it or I saw it, I, and it's totally okay. This, everything here is an invitation, not an expectation and, and see where it takes us. But I, th- but I think this is something that a lot of people struggle with, you know? So what could you tell us about how that, anything about your upbringing, religious upbringing, how, because yeah. you do talk about in the book, how scary it was and difficult it was to, to let go of that. And, and the difference, you know, part of the difference between being religious and spiritual is a real important one for me too. But I don't know, that just all of a sudden caught my eye as I was reading this, like, oh, I meant to ask her that. So yeah, I'm oh, that's on the spot, but that's... No, that's good. I, um, I was raised Mormon, a very strict religion too, strict Mormon. And uh, it was a huge part of my alchemical awakening or soul awakening to realize that I, there was so much I loved about the religion and so much I loved about the, the teachings in the Bible and the Book of Mormon. But there was a time when I realized my soul was actually, my soul energy and my connection with that was actually outgrowing the religion. And um, one of the most mystical experiences of my life was sitting in church one day and the voice coming from within said, this is the last time you'll ever sit here. This is the last Sunday you'll ever be here. And I was like, what? And I got up and walked out that day and never went back. And but, you know, being raised in the culture and my family being Mormon too, it was incredibly shattering to that identity. And that's when I would say I hit my first dark night of the soul mm. because I thought, well, if I don't have that framework to live with and how am I, how am I going to orient my, orientate myself to the world and, and, and move through the world, navigate without that structure. And, um, so that was, you know, those are the things that, that put us into dark nights and, and make us have to feel into other ways of being. And the Mormon religion is, is hard to leave because it's not just um, what you do on Sunday. The religion is, is a culture and it really permeates your entire life. So I had to, it was like everything. How do I how do I see myself in the world now? What's, what's real to me? What do I even believe? Like all that stuff. So that really heated up my soul awakening when that happened. Mm, Thank you. Thank you for that. I, I can identify that um, with that a lot as growing up Catholic. You know, I, I actually, as a teenager, had a, had a call to, to perhaps to the priesthood, you know, it was a real conflict in my heart because I also knew I wanted a family and, and I was a lot of other things I wanted to do. Um, and so I think particularly what I hear in that, McCall, too, is that, you know, it was when you are a deeply spiritual person and you, you have a natural affinity for the larger mystery of life, spirit, that, that of course, if we're exposed to a religion you know, growing up that, that, that is something that we will be drawn to because it's one thing in the culture, at least that does have, like, I love even to this day, you know, the mystery of the Catholic mass. And there was a lot of things that I, I still, in fact, I still, you know, honor a lot of that path, 
And I would love your thoughts on this because one way I've thought about it is religion comes from religiere, which means to relink. So it's kind of like a bridge. And, and if religion's doing its job, it should be a bridge to a personal relationship to this wider, vaster mm. presence that mm. we, we are. We are the source, right? And the, the destination and, and whatever this, um, I know Carl Jung call extra mundane reality, this, this more than human reality that we're swimming in. But what happens so often is people get stuck on the bridge or they say, you know, mm. my bridge is the only bridge or the worst thing is they forget it's a bridge and people start thinking the bridge is the destination and then it can actually impede spiritual growth. Mm. So <clears throat> I, I notice, and I love the boldness you, you have in your book. And, and when I, you know, read your work and, you know, follow your, you know, you have a, a, a beautiful, you know, a lot of your quotes just go right to the heart and that, and I, this idea of falling to soul or that most people would say fall from grace, but I almost like it's falling to grace, right? It's where it's like, mm -hmm. so, so I guess whatever, you know, and, and also I want to, in a conversation, anything you're, you're drawn to, you're curious about, we'll, we'll kind of see how that goes back and forth. But the two things, you know, how religion can either support or take away or obstruct genuine spirituality or or what we might call soul work, something that's near and dear to us, but also how falling, you know, is something that, that's something, and maybe this is a better way to phrase it. You have a wonderful description, which I don't see many people talk about in our culture, between spirit and soul and the mm. difference between them yeah. and why it is so important to understand that your spirit and soul are two different aspects of of you um so anyway i've just invited you to, to respond to whatever touches you and calls to you because to me again that's yeah that is that is the key of a soul conversation oh man there's there's so much there's so much in there um i love the idea of of the bridge and i i almost think as you were saying that about religion, if religion does its job, <laughs> sometimes it's going to like work itself out of a job, like yes. put us into contact yes. with that yes. relationship. And I remember feeling that when I was leaving the church and leaving the religion, I thought, well, it, Mormons have a thing called the Holy Ghost that we get when we're baptized, which is a, a direct relationship with spirit. And I loved that so much because you can talk to the Holy Ghost and it guides you. It's like a spirit guide, right? And I thought when I was leaving, I thought it's ironic that this, my relationship with the Holy Ghost and my relationship with spirit is the thing pulling me out of the religion. Yes, yes. And so it like pulled me through. And, you know, I don't think people wanted to hear that. I remember trying to talk to my bishop and the, my friends in the church, like, it's the Holy Ghost pulling me out of the religion. And they were just like, what? That doesn't make any sense. It's Satan who's pulling you out. But if religion does its job and you cross that bridge, you don't need the middleman. You know, it's like, the, it's like having a direct experience with your own soul and having mm -hmm. a direct experience with spirit. And I always, I also all, said a lot. If I could have stayed in the religion, I would have, because I loved the community. I loved the music. Mormons are all about music. I got my music, like my mus music, musician part of me was so fed by being in that religion. So there was so much about it that fed me. And if I could have stayed there, I would have, but that's also the theme of my life. There's so many situations jobs relationships through my whole growing up years that i'm like if i could stay i would but i just kept outgrowing everything everything was a bridge leading me to my I'll, i say it again and again the direct relationship with our own souls which means we're having a direct relationship with our own life experience which is can be scary because you have to own it. It's a, it's a subjective experience. There's no one telling you you're doing the right thing or your experience is right, or there's no herd mentality with it. It's like, well, this is my subjective reality. 
um, which is what I love about alchemy because it teaches us how to work with that, um, how to have a relationship with that and have a conversation with life and spirit and soul and all that is. Beautiful. Oh, I, I love that. I love that. I, I love that. If religion's doing its job, it should work itself out of a job, which is yeah. what, you know, good parents are, right? Good parents are there to work themselves out of a job. I've even said as a guide of the soul, my job is to work myself out of a job, you know, and, and I know something we both feel very strongly about that, you know, it's been, you know, in, in, in astrology, they talk about the, the Aquarian age, which to me is, is more the idea that we're, we're coming into a time when we have to all be more responsible for that relationship with our soul and to all that is and to this greater mystery that we're part of here. And, and to me, it's actually, you know, bridging science and religion because, you know, part of that is finding the inner teacher, inner guru, inner shaman, inner alchemist within. And I know that's something that we both really feel is so important for each person to take 100% responsibility for their own health, healing, and wholeness. And, and, I, and I feel like this is, this is part of the good news. You know, I, I have this deep connection, personal relationship to, to Jesus, or I like to say Yeshua, his Hebrew name. Um, and I would say he suffered not so we didn't have to, but show us how to like to, to mm. take that walk into our own desert, to, to, to go through our own crucifixion, which dark nights of the soul are and show us how to suffer for, for redemption, how to suffer for rebirth, to, to find ourselves, the need of losing ourselves to find ourselves, which you find in, in all deep wisdom traditions and, and kind of this, you know, the perennial wisdom traditions. And through that process, I can say, you know, I've really become a student of all paths. And, you know, as a teenager, I actually, it was my, my parents thought I was very strange. I was like, first had to read the history of Western philosophy. Then I wanted every sacred book from all the religions. And, and I remember getting my book of Mormon. They go, why do you want a book of Mormon? <laughs> and I was like, because everybody's got to have part of the truth. Um, and for me, it's very much been like many rivers, one ocean, right? Mm -hmm. Or or many paths, one mountain. Um, and maybe that's, you know, a good segue into the second half of the mountain. And I have to tell you, this is, this is kind of a funny thing. The whole time before I actually read the book, the second half of the mountain, for some reason in my mind, I kept thinking about the other half, like after getting to the top, like going back <laughs> down. <laughs> and that's, and I kept that's, and part of that is because my vision quest 20, 20 years ago now, it was so hard coming back to, to um, civilization, you know, after having this profound awakening experience and like how to, how to bring that experience and live that experience. Um, and, and I know there's some different ways. So, so I'm going to let you share with our, listeners and audience a little bit about what you understand as the second half of the mountain mm -hmm. um, because well I'll let I'll let you say it it's not the other it's not coming back down off the mountain although it might be for some people but I, I love the way you talk about it in the book yeah yeah that's really good and I I just want to put point this out that that integration journey after we reach the top or what are the philosopher's stone, enlightenment, whatever, nirvana, samadhi, all those things, whatever tradition you're looking at, that's a whole other journey. And I am writing a book about that journey. I'm so excited about it. So I just have to plug that in there. But the second half of the mountain journey, like you just said, you became a student of all traditions, which is something I love about you and your, when I read your ever flowing on, you just pull all the richness from all these different places and show how, like, I love that many rivers, one ocean, you weave it all together. It's so amazing. So I, I, the second half of the mountain, I can frame it pretty simply um, the way I see it. When you have an awakening, we, you come into contact with your true nature and it can jolt you out of the way you've been walking through the world or moving through the world, right? You, you sense your deeper, a deeper sense of yourself through your 
identities and ways of being. But the awakening is, it can be so profound because it feels, it's so strong. You come into contact with that soul self, that eternal self, enduring self. But, 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 the huge but is at that point in time, most of us still have um, so much conditioning and unresolved traumas, patternings, um, karma. And I know we don't really talk about karma in the West the way it is understood. Alchemically, karma basically just means cause and effect. Like what are, are you, you're in a cycle, like what you're doing is, is causing certain energy. So how do you break out of certain karmic loops? So when you, when we awaken to the true self and the soul self, we can't really hold on to that awakening yet. We find ourselves slipping in and out of it. Um, we can, you know, you might find yourself doing or saying something that doesn't feel very congruent with what you know that soul self is. And so, so you awaken, but then you start doing life and you, you get pulled out of it and you lose that connection because the, you have to work through all of those conditionings and traumas and break, you have to break cycles. You have to break patterns and it takes time. So the, the biggest thing I would say, the second half of the mountain journey is working through all of those um, conditionings, traumas, resolving the trauma, getting to a place where you can be in alignment, alignment full time. When you have a clear path to that center and a clear path of the soul self all the time, no matter what, you, you won't get pulled out of it. You can be anywhere in any situation, no matter what life brings, which it brings a lot of hard challenges and you won't get pulled away from that soul self. The reason you get pulled away, the reason we get pulled away is because of the unresolved, all the unresolved stuff. So the second journey, we can't just awaken. It's not enough to just awaken. We have to do all that work that comes with it, which the reason it's hard I, I, I quote David White in the beginning of that book, the book that says, there's no path that goes all the way, right? And Joseph Campbell also says, if there's a way or a path that someone else is, you have to make your own way. So the second half of the mountain journey, we find our own way by awakening the inner healer, tuning into our own inner navigation system. The way you get up the second half of the mountain to that enduring awakening within is it's gonna look different for everybody. There's no one right way to heal. There's no one right way to work through all that stuff. But it's important to remember that it can take years. It can take time. There's real processes you have to go through to get there. So there. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love your energy and I love your passion for this work. And I, I kept, it was reminding me you know, that this, this idea of literally you've climbed to the second half, to the halfway up the mountain, yeah. and then you see there's further to go. And it reminded me of this uh, particular quest I was guiding in the San Miguel Mountains, or I was, I was uh, apprenticing actually, um, and got to a place where the, the trail ran out to, from where we were mm -hmm. wanting to get to, which was just above treeline. And we were kind of crazy to, to set a base camp at 13,000 feet, just a thousand feet below a 14er. And, and it's when the trail runs out, right? It's like the taste of awakening when you, when you access a state of consciousness, which is so important, right? I mean, you make that point too. And, and, you know, so much of what we try to do or what people might have as an experience in all different ways from from trauma or plant medicine or a vision quest or a, you know any kind of thing that may initiate the soul which is kind of that first taste right that taste of awakening or you access a state of consciousness but then that path and i love that joseph campbell quote that if you're following a path by definition it's somebody else's that we have to bushwhack right it's like that place where all of a sudden wow 
now to get to where, like for us to get up there, we had a bushwhack, you know, it was kind of like, you know, we had to make our way without a, a set trail or path. And in this idea for me of, of also what I really love in your work is the grittiness of it, you know, that, that, you know, you, you're very, you don't pull any punches, you know, in this book about, you know, being very clear with, with the reader about, you know, I know you've tasted this joy. I know you've tasted this luminous light and it's going to get darker before it gets better. And, yeah. and to me, it's just like also, you know, the seasons of the year and the night and day. And, and we're having this conversation actually as Hurricane Sally is off the coast, like she's just a few miles off the coast of where I am right now. And I've ridden three of these out. And I was, I was like, well, this is appropriate because for all of us, there's always, when we're in the moment, when we're really present, the next moment has never existed before. And therefore, mm -hmm. by definition, we are all bushwhacking all the time. We may, we may create the illusion in our minds that, you know, you know, we're secure and safe, but actually, and I got this so much in, in not only you know, your book, but whenever we've, we've interacted and shared and just that this idea of honoring that, that when we're authentic and real and honest about life, that, that it is difficult. It is painful. It is dark half the time, <laughs> you know, I mean, I tell people it's like, well, but there's that darkness serves a purpose and yeah. the bushwhacking serves a purpose. And, and that's why I've always thought of, you know, the soul's journey and soul work as an adventure, right? It's an, it's an adventure. I love Helen Keller when she says life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. And so, so I guess I just really want to, and that's where, I, you know, they're saying, you're going to go across the bridge. It's a three mile bridge, you know, when it's going to start raining and when is this? And I said, no, this is an important conversation I'm having. Um, it's, it's worth a little danger. Um, and, and so I guess, you know, that's the other thing. You're very open about your dark times in your book and, and in your writing and in your work and in your sharing. And that to me, you know, helps the ring the truth of authenticity because we can do good badly, I think, in the world when we, we overpromise the light, you know. Mm -hmm. And and I think there's a lot of a lot of damage that can happen to people. And of course, for me, I, you know, in musitations, we talk so much about creativity and poetry or a piece of artwork or music. Often it's the texture and color of, of all the emotions, you know, the light and the dark, you know, I, I play a lot in minor keys. And so there's always like, you know, some people say, yeah, it's really relaxing, but sometimes I feel there could be a shark swimming in the ocean. You know, I feel like, you know, there's like a sadness underlying your music. And, and, um, and I guess I, I also see it, you know, I feel that in your poetry and in your, mm. in your, your writing and your work too. So that's not a question. I'm just, I'm, that's my next, it's kind of like, uh, two musicians yeah. sharing a melody back and forth. So I'm open to whatever that may have touched in you. Yeah, that touched a few things. Um, I, I think there came a point in the work and the inner healing and the second half of the mountain where I realized, oh, the dark times or the hard, gritty times, they're never going to go away. For some reason, I had that, that bit of conditioning, whether it came from religion or, or the spirituality, wherever it came from, that if, if you do enough work, you can finally just like overcome the darkness or whatever. But there came a time when I was like, oh no, I actually need those. I need to swim through those shark infested waters. I need, like it's part of the hero's journey. It's yes. part of the, the, the whole, it, it's where we get the richness. And I actually remembered this last night from your book that you said the poets of old say, you go to heaven for form and you go to hell for energy. Mm. I love that line so much mm. because in alchemy, we talk about traveling on the vertical axis, which is the internal axis of travel. And when we're up, we're, we're feeling lighter in mood. 
we go down though, we go down for the richness, we go down for healing, we go down for the meat of our stories. And as I realized like these two, this all works in sync with each other. Mm. There's no escaping the dark. You work with it and it, it textures everything, like you said. And that was a big shift for me to realize it's not about overcoming it. It's not about overcoming the darkness. It's about working with it and increasing. We've talked about, we've thrown these terms around the alchemical metabolism. Yes. Like the darkness isn't bad. It's feeding the whole journey. It, it grows us. Oh, and you, I'm trying to fit as much goodness as we can into the silver stage. And you use the term growing down mm. instead of just growing up. We're always like, how can we achieve? How can we reach higher heights? How can we, you know, what climb the ladder, but to really grow our souls, we have to grow down like the roots of the tree. I love that mm. so much. So there's no, it's not bad. I, that's why I'm so open about the darkness and I'm so open about the realities because I, I've often said one of the things that messes with us the most is thinking it should be easy. Yes. Like that's the lie. That's the lie. Get rid of that. And you realize like, oh, this is how it's supposed to be. I can work with that. Like that's, I can work with that. So beautiful. Oh, I love that. That's so key. Um, in, yeah, not only, not only embracing, but I, my very first book, Corns and Halos, um, the subtitle is Towards the Blessing of Darkness. Mm. And it's on love-hate relationships. Mm. It's kind of, it was a it was an extension of my my dissertation, which was all qualitative research, was just all case studies, but I, I found it was so sad and painful that so much of the major violence I, I worked with as a child protection team psychologist for years and that so much of the worst violence was done by intimate partners, you know, people who mm. either parent child or siblings or partners and, you know, how love could be turned the soil of, of, of hate. And, and I, and that's what also led me a lot of Jungian understandings of the shadow. And when we don't acknowledge and honor our shadow, how, um, there's that, it was a great book, um, few years back, The Dark Side of the Light Chasers, I think. Yeah, is, is yes, I read right. that in high school. <laughs> powerful, powerful book. And and, yes. and and what I love, because we do, we have this sense, and I know I've been there, I know there was a period of time, because I, I shared with you, you know, kind of my three dark nights of the soul, and I'm sure there's just a matter of time till another one, you know, hits that, because it's, it is this alchemical metabolism that I think, or, you know, one of my uh, teachers and friends, Linda Starwolf calls it, you know, the shamanic cycle of spiral of change, which is kind of a, a very alchemical, similar approach. And that actually the danger is whenever we assume we won't have another one, <laughs> it's mm. like, that's when we're getting ourselves into trouble that actually to, to really see that, that, especially with what's going on on the earth and where we are as a species and, you know, all the crisis we're in culturally and with nature and our dysfunctional relationship with nature that, that in some ways for me, our culture has been built on the denial of the darkness, on yeah. the denial of the down times, you know, you know, we just think the, the, you know, economy and stock market and everything's just up, 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 up. There's no honoring as the, the indigenous people in the past would have had a ceremony of, you know, harvesting and turning under and the darkness. And, and we just, we do not honor the darkness. I think that's, that could be one of the, you know, key fundamental shadows, ironically, of, of, our culture, I mean, of our educate, everything's going up the ladder of success, up the ladder of education. And why, I think why I was really touched by your story too, you know, that I think we were, you know, probably, you know, both golden children heading for, you know, that we had, right. We had the world at our feet. We, we kind of just do as you're told, cross your T's, dot your I's and, you know, you'll get into heaven and have a great life. And, you know, um, just keep saying your prayers and, you know, uh, 
sitting, you know, in the pew and say, you know, all those things, that somehow there's an assumption in all of that, that it's possible to live a suffering free life Mm -hmm. when actually it's the suffering, the inconvenient truth is suffering is required not only to awaken the soul, but as you're saying, keep the soul healthy and that a certain amount of that we've actually become addicted to comfort. I always like to say, you know, I never remember Jesus saying, blessed are the comfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Don't remember that. So, so I really love this honoring of the darkness in from, and you do it so well from the alchemical standpoint. What are some things that you could share, you have found that perhaps share with, with our listeners and audience that, because it is still hard. I mean, even if we conceptually grasp that, okay, the darkness is part of the journey, part of the process, but we, we don't like, I mean, well, I should say, I, yeah, well, I think we've both gotten to the point that we probably, I mean, one of the reasons I love the Native American flute is it has this bittersweet kind of mm. mournful, sorrow, you know, joyful sorrowfulness. Um, and that's one of the ways I stay in touch with trying to condition myself to honor the dark. What are ways that you have found for yourself and those you work with to help I don't know if condition is the right word or invite or welcome because we don't want it to be gratuitously dark, right? I mean, there's plenty of darkness without us having to purposely create more darkness, but, but yeah, what are, what are some thoughts about how can we open ourselves or, or maybe just prepare ourselves for the inevitable darkness that life holds? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good inquiry. A couple things come to mind first off for me that helped a lot. And one of those is to realize how multifaceted we are, that if we can actually honor that the darkness can be happening at the same time as other things can be happening. So that it's not all consuming because I did, I do want to point out that the dark nights of the soul that I went through on the second half of the mountain journey were by far the hardest because I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know how important it was. I, ha- I didn't have the perspective yet. So when you have the perspective that the dark nights of the soul is part of the cycle of ever unfolding and growing, once you have the perspective, it makes it a little easier. Um, and I, and I, I want to, I point that out because I want to say after I, reached what I would say is the philosopher's stone where I had that abiding awakening with myself and I could, I could really hold my alignment no matter what. I went through one of the hardest dark nights I've ever gone through. Like it was immediate. I mean, I, it was opposite of what I thought would have happened when I acquired the philosopher's stone. It was facing one of the hardest times of my life for four years mm-hmm. into this dark sludge of moving forward. And so, so it's like, but I want to say it still wasn't as hard as the first dark night because I had the perspective and I had enough understanding of my multifaceted self and my multidimensional self that it wasn't like the darkness wasn't permeating all aspects of myself. So I could honor that there was actually, I could honor other experiences happening, happening simultaneously within the dark night. I could still connect to beauty. I could still have incredible moments of presence. I could still connect to people close to me in my life. And even though that darkness was happening simultaneously. So I think the multifaceted thing helps a lot and realizing, having perspective, the multifaceted parts of us that but that helps a lot but also realizing it moves it's always going to move it's not the be all end all and i al- i also created a, a a deal with my spirit team and my spirit guides and i said i get the, oh geez going to knock my ni- microphone over i get that 
you know, nothing lasts forever and that, that suffering, you know, moves, but sometimes I need some kind of like time frame. Like, can you give me like a, like a general time frame, like two years, you know, cause it's like, you're not, you know, you're not going to be in pain forever, but what's forever 20 years, like, or 40 years. What do you mean? Like, is it, are we looking at two years here? So I do have an amazing, my, and my, close people close to me know I get the the timeline ask McCall she gets timelines like I I get for myself I get these timelines a sense of like okay this is going to be happening for the next two or four years I can deal with that like or or this is going to be a six-month thing I can deal with that and it's not hard and fast but it really helps me because the human parts of us really need to know like yeah there's an end to suffering there's an end to the cycle but my whole life or like a decade like so we need those little comforts of uh, and glimpses of coming out of it so those those would be the things that i would say help me the most with the darkness and the in working with it beautiful those are so so helpful and, and very very congruent with so much of my own discoveries you know that that i love this idea of which has changed, you know, even as I was preparing for this potential hurricane, well, we're definitely going to get part of it, but it's, it's like, it's dark outside right now. Like I, I would be, I would not be so dark on this video because usually I have like some really great natural lighting, but it is dark outside in the middle of the day here in the Gulf coast of Florida. And, you know, I've gone through three of these previously and I was noticing as I was preparing, um, everything you just mentioned that the first one was that um to know that nothing lasts forever you know this the the, the buddhist idea of impermanence and and everything is always changing mm-hmm. and the other thing is to to even when we might be suffering or in a period of or part of our life is dark or or full of struggle or challenge to not paint the entire, our entire life with that darkness. And, and I do think that's something that comes with maturity and the soul work and, and, and seeing ourselves as multifaceted, you know, so if one facet of the diamond of ourself is, you know, cloudy or dark or, you know, um, I can't remember what a gemologist says about, about uh, flawed or feels flawed that not, not all of the facets. In fact, I think that's another really wonderful thing about becoming it. It's not becoming because we naturally are, but honoring our multifaceted nature, which our culture doesn't teach us, right? We, we have this I, mm-hmm. illusion of self same identity, which I think is one of the most soulless kinds of things and gets in the way of the discovery of the soul to see how multifaceted we are. So I love that. And then this, this other, the time frames. I love that on the same way. I mean, I can see so much, even though people don't want to hear it, but when I can say, well, you know, last few times I've seen folks go through something or when I've been through something like this, it's two year process. I mean, at least, yeah. right? or yeah. this is like probably a seven year deal or, you know, yeah, exactly. and I don't know, I get the same kind of thing. And, and, you know, I'm, I, I I love to dabble in astrology and and just the time frames with astrology are wonderful because you know when you're looking on the frames of of seven or twenty one or forty two or even you know thirty year cycles of the return of Saturn you know in our in our charts you know just the power of honoring something we even talked to you know in our e- email exchange about when I talked about you know. I've been so fortunate with my music and, you know, everybody's, you know, how lucky and, you know, only so many people would ever get to that. Or, you know, it seemed like you were just like an overnight success. And it's like most overnight successes take about 20 years. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. so I think these time frames are great because we can also then settle into enjoying the journey. Um, I remember my teacher, my, my native teacher would say, you know, Michael, you know, all the life is, is on its way up, on your way up the mountain. At the top of those, mm-hmm. we don't tend to go up there much because there's nothing up there, you know, beyond the tree line. You know, it's like, sure, you can check out the view, but all life is growing and rich along the journey up the mountain. And if you're just focused on getting to the top, you're going to miss 
life, right? And and I and I feel that in in your work and in your sharing and 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 I think that's part of the the power power of really and I love that you tapped into to alchemy so deeply and and by the way for anybody who might be interested in in alchemy I find it one of the nice nicest simplest simplest not the right word um, simplified without losing the complexity and richness because you really honor the richness and complexity of the alchemical process um, I've been into it from my Jungian studies but even Jung was kind of always not always as clear and, and it can be a very you know, uh, has all different kinds of aspects to it, but I, I really love that you make it understandable for the reader in in a really um, clear way, and to see, and this is something I, I definitely wanted to get to in our share of the conversation. That I can't remember the the last part of of the alchemical process you describe. I can pull it up here. You can. Um, is it distillation? Yeah, I think it's. Oh, you know, I was actually um, combination of distillation and um, the coagulation and radiation. Radiation, oh, radiation! Um, oh my goodness, that's a whole topic. <laughs> it is, but I, before we get into radiation, I want to talk about emptiness. I want to mm. talk about, um, you know. As you were talking about the inevitability of the suffering and knowing how it grows us, you know, I part of my mission in musitations is the idea of us, you know, being music. Part of my understanding of that is, you know, the Cherokee call this beautiful instrument the long human being. Because they say we have to be hollowed out by life so Creator can play us and life can play us, the universe can play us, and that every little nick and, you know, uh, piece of suffering is an opening and that we end up becoming hollowed out or emptied so life or Creator can play us. And actually, in the creek, uh, the native tribe close to here that I'm an honorary member of. Um, call call creator the master of the breath mm. which which i really love um mm. so I, I i'm curious from an alchemical perspective how because i i love when you talked about emptiness it's kind of like you know as we discover the soul and understanding that the soul for me is is less a, uh, a thing right than a it's always, we can't, whatever we say about it, it's not it. It's always going to be beyond, right? I mean, it's dangerous to ever try to. Yeah, because it's, it is. It's part of our, for me, and I, I would love your, your sharing on it too, that it is our part of the great mystery. And it's our, our part of how we connect to the great mystery. It's our, it's the part of us that knows the mystery. It's the part of us that knows creator and and also probably the part of us that is animated by, through, and for creator, um, or whatever word um, works for folks. But I, I guess I would be really, I'm just interested. I was really touched. It was like, oh, this is somebody, this is totally soul sister. She so gets, until someone really can honor and touch the emptiness and I, you know, in Everflung, I call it the abyss. Um, and to see that 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 often to me is also the other side of awakening that I just don't hear much about. And from the your first quote to the book to, um, you know, why we're here today, I would love to hear alchemy, emptiness, and um, how you understand living in living and inhabiting or um, how emptiness is connected to this whole process in, in, in either personally or alchemically. Yeah, that's good. The first thing that comes to mind is um, I talk about in the book and the later stages of the journey that, that we can't just understand nothing 
or the emptiness, I use the word nothing. We actually have to become it. We become nothing, which is an excruciating process for the ego. It is so hard because we have to give up all identities, including spiritual identities, including enlightenment. It's like all stories of enlightenment. You only find it when you give up finding it. When you finally realize I'm never going to find it. I don't know what it is. You know, that's when you find it. So alchemically, the distillation strips us of every single identity. By the end of this process, you are nothing. <laughs> and, wow. and that's a good thing. Yes. I yes. actually have a song that I wrote called Nothing at All. And I can't wait to share it on my podcast because that's when I realized like, oh, this is the point to become nothing that I'm so hollowed out, so unattached to any labels. For me, the, the, the good labels, the spiritual labels were the ones that had to fall. Like being the musician and being the healer and being the alchemist. Like I had ideas of what that meant and it all had to go until I truly was nothing. And that's when you melt into the mystery, right? That's when you just melt into the flow and, and radiation. You think radiation is what comes after becoming nothing because you almost, you almost feel nothing for a while because you're not, your ego isn't attached to all those old ways of seeing yourself or being. And so it it really feels like nothingness. It's, it's kind of disconcerting at first. Like maybe I should be feeling more. Maybe I should be more excited about this, but you're not because you're so surrendered. It's like the deepest surrender you can get to. And you have to stay there for a while. You have to stay there for a while to start hearing the music. And it's like you talk about in your, your book, tuning into the river what is that river bringing and flowing through you? What wants to be born through you? You have to be so out of the way, so out of the way. We're still in our way so much, <laughs> which when we take the second half of the mountain journey, which is why we have to take it because we don't even know how much we're in our way. And the nothingness, the emptiness gets us out of our way so we can be played. So we can be played. And I love the mystics a lot of times in Rumi's poetry. He talks about the reed being yes. pulled from the reed bed and it becomes the flute that the breath of God. And the only thing the reed wants is to be the flute for the breath of God. Like, and the longing and everything comes through that. Really hard for the human, really hard for the ego to let that happen and to get out of the way. But, oh. It's just, that's the music that's becoming the music. And I love how you said that. That's actually one of the first podcasts of yours that I watched was being the music. We are the music and which really resonated for me because early on in my journey, I got the message. You have to become music because all I ever wanted to do was music. It's the only thing I wanted to do. And I was trying so hard to do it. And I was trying so hard to be a music, like a singer songwriter. And I was trying so hard to learn how to songwrite and get it all right. And it all slowly just fell away from me. And I had a huge period of silence where I didn't write music at all. And the message from spirit was because you are becoming music. You have to become music, which I understood intellectually, I think, but I didn't really know what that felt like until I did. <laughs> so it's a process. You were just the music just then. I always say the, the depth of the meditation or the song 
you can always know by the depths of silence that follows it. And, uh, and thank you for that. Thank you for all of that. Mm -hmm. And um, because I, I do, I just feel that is our challenge. And, and as Westerners, it's the, it, we have this real, real, we've been an experiment of individuality, you know, on the planet. And it's this interesting paradox. Um, I just love everything you just said. And I just, you know, my, my most profound way of honoring it is silence. So, mm. um, you know, complete agreement. And, and I, and that would be a, a subject of an, another, um, musitations, but my own journey of becoming music versus playing music and and I see you on that journey and 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 your sharing was music that that was music just then and I and this idea of how we begin to I, I love the image of you know we are each a snowflake you know or if we're, or if we're, a, or if we're a droplet of water or a molecule of water that during this incarnation, it's like we become the snowflake and you know, nature no, never makes a copy, you know, only creates originals, you know, a billion snowflakes and every single one is going to be individual, unique, one of a kind. And yet we also are connected in one in this idea of unity and diversity that, that we're struggling with because, you know, the East has had the answer of, you know, sense of self very connected to family or community or, you know, kind of that. And we've gone in this opposite direction of creating such an individual ego, such a center of gravity of individuality, which, which it has a truth to it because I think the soul is deeply individual and unique. And yet, the soul is not the ego, as you rightly pointed out, and, and, and how we move from ego to soul. And because we don't have soul initiations that can help move the ego out of the center of gravity of the self, soul, the soul can become the center of gravity of the self, is this great challenge, you know, for us. And, and that's why I really, um, you know, I, I see you as, you know, a soul initiated, you know, adult, and we don't have many soul initiated adults in, in our culture, and, and particularly at your age, that I... I feel this is so important because um, we need to, to begin to have rites of passage again or soul initiations mm -hmm. in a way that does not dissolve and eradicate individuality, which religion can do. And that's the problem. And religions actually aren't initiating souls. They're, they're giving an opportunity to know that there is a greater reality, but it, but it's become so embedded in, you know, cultural conditioning, which I could say the same thing about psychology. One of the reasons I'm retired from work as a psychologist is it's too culturally embedded. It's not radical enough um, for real soul change mm -hmm. and soul unfolding. But mm. the sense of, because no two flutes are alike, right? So even though we become empty, we become more ourselves. And, and I think that's also, that's also, and I, you know, I've been a student of um, all paths, but particularly Buddhism for, for uh, my, my Zen Buddhist teacher, 40 years, so we just sat together and we'll sit, sit, sit for hours. And, and he has been such a blessing in my life and, and, the same time the idea of you know self which is a big part of buddhism has, has been hugely freeing for me what i got from what you said which i loved and i saw it in your energy and your your smile and your you know light you carry which i i want to really honor that there is something about the more darkness we we move through the more brilliant our light you know mm -hmm. and that that the way carbon becomes a diamond is through tremendous darkness and pressure mm -hmm. um, but that the sense of you know sometimes buddha nature he and i get in arguments because you know 
as a real Zen Buddhist, he'll say, you know, well, the soul is just another ver version of the self and that's an illusion. And, you know, it's like, but the Buddha nature, you know, it's like, um, it's like the snowflakes Buddha nature is individually unique. And he'll, he'll give me that. So, oh, well, of course, you know, it's like um, the acorn theory of the soul that no matter where you plant that acorn, it's going to become its inner instructions, its inner calling is to become an oak tree, no matter where you plant mm -hmm. that on the planet. And will, depending on the soil, depending on the weather, it will look individual and unique to itself, but by trying not to be something else, and that's what's so challenging as human beings, is we are the one being on the planet that can betray its own truth. You know, that that we can be an oak tree, but try to be an apple tree, you know. And and I think that this is what I love in, 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 in your work is that your struggle to become yourself, you had to let go of thinking that you were anything that that anybody has ever told you you were and you had to just follow what I like to call the truth that your blood whispered to you you know mm. the deepest core mm. of yourself and which to me is the acorn listening to itself to become the oak tree and and to ask what kind of fruit did I come here to bear and ask it so innocently so so um, Pablo Neruda has a has a line in his poem, you know, called poetry, where he he wrote about his discovering poetry, and you know he says, "I wrote the first bare line, pure foolishness, pure wisdom," and 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 to me, I I, I have that, you know, I I can feel that the tangible sense of your own awakening to your own originality and i think that's what's what's really really beautiful and what people miss and the good news out there is by becoming empty by becoming nothing is the best way to become who you truly were designed to be so so that to me is is really powerful just so honored to have you here have an opportunity to get to to be with you a bit more, to get to know you and your path and your journey and your own originality a bit more. Um, I can't wait to hear that song about being nothing. Um, I'm not sure. Nobody. Was it nobody? Nothing. No, nothing. Nothing at all. Yeah. I, I so <laughs> can't wait to hear that. So please let us know when, when that becomes available on your podcast. Um, but I just want to give you an opportunity to, um, before we finish up, I, you know, want to, for you to share a little bit about how people can connect with you, work with you. Uh, but I'd also love to, if there was anything before going there that you would want to say or share before we kind of bring this conversation in for a landing. I, I feel like I feel pretty completed with what we talked about. It's, that was a lot of stuff is really nice. Um, the best way to find my work is my website, McCallErickson.com. You can find my podcast there, my book. Um, I also interact on Twitter and Instagram, McCall Erickson. So those are the best ways to get a hold of me. Wonderful. Well, I just can't thank you enough for making the time to share. And I, I, I look forward to many more conversations with you, whether it's online or not. And I, I really want to encourage folks to check out your book once again, The Second Half of the Mountain, mm -hmm. A Guide to Personal Alchemy After Awakening. Um, I really highly recommend it. And I also have had a chance to listen to some of your music, McCall, and it's just beautiful. You have an, a very soulful uh, voice and message in your music, and I hope to be hearing a whole lot more <laughs> as you allow yourself more and more to become music. So, thank you <laughs> thank you and for the listeners and audience out there thanks for tuning in it's always great to have you here and sending everyone you know real blessings and and uh, a sense of a prayer for resilience to stay safe stay in the moment and if you can really remember each moment is a note in the song of today. And that means that no matter where you are and who you're with or what's happening, that find 
how that can bring you into a place of flow, like music, like love, like water. God bless you, be well, and we'll see you on the next Musitations. You've been listening to Musitations, sound healing and sound wisdom for a world in need, where we explore all things musical, meditative, and creative for healing, transformation, and awakening the soul. I've been your guide and host, Michael Brandt Di Maria. Feel free to check out my music on Pandora, Amazon Music, Spotify, XM Cirrus Radio, or Soundscapes Cable. You can also check out my website at michaeldemaria.com or online programs at alldaypeace.com, alldaypeace.com. Listen to your heart, follow your soul, and we'll see you on the next episode of Musitations.